It's so good to see you all again. I love Tuesday nights. This is the best night of the week because we get to spend it together. Amen? Amen. If this is your first time with us, I want to extend a special welcome. Again, we don't do that every week where we film a video. That just happened twice now. But I am thankful that you decided to come to Chi Alpha. I know we're getting later in the semester, so it can be a little bit more challenging to try new things. So thank you for being willing to step outside your comfort zone and come and be with us tonight. Our prayer is that you will feel at home and that you will also encounter the love and the presence of God. As we were worshiping tonight, just singing All Hail King Jesus, I'm just reminded of the beauty of Jesus. I think we often think of the power of Jesus. We think of like maybe the goodness of Jesus. But I think there's something unique about the beauty of Jesus, just like the unique, beautiful nature of him, how he is the most beautiful person in all of humanity, not physically speaking, but how he has just a beautiful heart for us. That Jesus at the same time, mercy and justice, that Jesus is grace and truth, that he loves us where we are at, but he doesn't let us stay that way. If you learn anything tonight, I pray that you're going to learn that Jesus is incredible. The beauty of Jesus is why we do all of this. Amen. Amen. So growing up, I was blessed with an incredible earthly father. So tonight you're going to hear me use the term earthly father, which means like my dad, my biological dad. And heavenly father meaning like God. Okay? So our heavenly father is God. My heavenly father, or excuse me, earthly father is Dan. So my dad and I, we had a great relationship, which afforded me many opportunities to try and connect with him. At a young age, we would connect over kind of trivial things like sports, video games, something with kind of a little bit of depth. But as I got older, I wanted to get more depth in our relationship, so I found different ways to connect with him. And I am the youngest of five, and I specifically have three older brothers. So I watched my two oldest brothers, and the way they connected with my dad was through like manual labor and being manly, and like they did concrete and stuff, and I had zero interest in connecting with him that way. So I threw their example out the window. So then I went to my next brother, which is my brother Daniel, who's the pastor of Scent Church. And the way he connected with my dad was a little bit interesting. He would just, like, poke at him and, like, be really annoying and, like, push his buttons and see what happened. And so this was usually fine because my dad hates conflict. So he just let Daniel kind of be an annoying son and just kind of poke his buttons. But then one day, my dad just blew up on him and, like, starts chasing him. And we have a field right next to our house, and he chased him around the field. And I got to watch that, and I thought it was hilarious. As my dad chases with a red face, my brother ready to beat him. He didn't beat him. My dad never hit us. But anyways, after that experience, I'm like, wait, I don't want to do it that way either. So I need to find my own way to connect with my father. So I did it. Something unique with me. Something that my dad and I would do. And this is pretty much my entire high school time, is we'd go to my basement. We would sit and play a video game, such as Madden or NBA 2K. And we would not say a word. And that was our connection. We would sit there silently. I would be destroying him. And the only, like, audio that would happen besides the TV would be an occasional grunt from my dad as he got ticked off as I picked him off for the fourth time in Madden. He'd be like, and then we'd just keep going. Like, (laughs) see, my dad and I, we both struggle with expressing emotions, and we're both introverted, so our way of bonding was complete silence. But then as of late, as I've gotten older, And actually, the last couple years, my dad and myself, we've both fallen more in love with Jesus, which has not only deepened our connection with God, but with each other. Over spring break, my best friend from high school, his dad passed away. And not only was he my best friend's dad, he was also actually my dad's best friend. We were connected. And so as we went through the funeral, which I I officiated, and as we went through this grieving process, my dad and I got to connect on a deeper level over shared sadness. I got to hug my dad as he cried about his friend. My dad's not much of a crier. And I got to talk to him, we got to talk about Jesus and how God is good amidst the kind of sad situations of life. Some of us are here and we relate to this process of trying to connect to an earthly father. 
Some of you had a great earthly father, and this was a fun process. Now, some of you, on the other hand, maybe this process wasn't great. Maybe your father was either absent physically, like he just wasn't around at all, or maybe he was absent just kind of like emotionally, like you didn't really have a deep connection with him. If that's you and you don't have a great relationship with your earthly father, I do want to say I'm sorry for that. That stinks. Like, I had a great relationship with my earthly dad, like I said, but Taylor, my wife, didn't have quite the same deep connection. My own dad didn't have a dad growing up, so I can kind of sympathize with your pain in that way. So I do want to say I'm deeply sorry that your situation was a poor earthly father. But the thing is that no matter what our earthly father's relationship with us is like, our heavenly father wants to deeply connect with us. See, our life of following Jesus is really actually this process of learning, how do I connect with my heavenly father? Have you ever thought, like, is this it? Is this all that following God is? Maybe you go to church services hoping to feel something, and maybe at one time you did feel something at fall retreat that one time or at church that one time, but maybe lately, if you're honest with yourself, you haven't been feeling God in the same way. Maybe lately you felt alone, you felt disconnected, and you want more from this relationship. Or some of us are here and you have a real devotional life, meaning you spend time with God on a daily basis, reading the Bible, and you try to pray. But if you're honest, sometimes it feels like a checklist and you want a deeper connection with God. Or possibly you're here and if you're honest, you haven't been connected with God in a long time or ever because you don't have a relationship with him at all. So you're not worrying about deepening that connection. The reason you might be here is thinking, I need to create that connection or run away. If that's you, I want you to know that you belong here and we love you. And I want you to know that God loves you and God wants to be with you. But you're just here trying to figure this out. How do we connect with our Father? See, we live in a society that is at the same time deeply, deeply connected, but also at the exact same time deeply disconnected. We live in the most connected and disconnected time in history. See, we can know what each one of us is doing at every waking moment through our phones and through social media and this new app, Be Real, that Taylor's trying to get all of you to app download. It makes me, it's like, just takes pictures of herself constantly. But anyways, so we have that connectedness. But then at the same time, we live in a society where we can hide out constantly. You can do all your classes online. If you didn't want to, you wouldn't have to see another soul. And you could just live a life engrossed in technology. It's a very interesting dynamic in the world we live in. See, in the midst of this interconnectedness and simultaneous ripe opportunity for isolation, we are tasked with connecting with a God that we're not probably going to physically see in this lifetime. A God that can seem far away. A God that our deepest connection to is actually from a series of books written 2,000 years ago. How are we to do this? How are we to connect to this Father? And so then maybe you're here and this is you approaching Jesus saying, Jesus, I'm trying to connect with you. I'm trying to connect with God, but I don't know how. How do I do this? How does, do I get more out of this? I imagine when we ask Jesus that question, he says, I thought you'd never ask. See, Jesus gives us an answer to this question in the passage we're going to read tonight. He tells us, he says the lines, pray like this. Then he goes on to tell us how to connect with our Heavenly Father. Last week we started this sermon series, Pray Like This, and through these few weeks we're going to look at different people or types of people and how they prayed and how they connected to God. Last week we talked about how to pray like children, how to be honest with God, the fact that we do not need to clean up before coming to the throne of God, but instead God just wants our real selves. God wants us to be childlike in our relationship. This week we're going to look at Jesus and learn from him how to pray. He is the God of the universe, so he might have something to teach us on how to pray. The title of the message tonight is Pray Like Jesus. Pray Like Jesus. 
In the story we're going to read tonight, Jesus has been spending some time with his disciples, and they had observed him watching or observed him praying to God. And for the disciples, prayer would not have been a foreign concept. They were all Jewish people, meaning they, prayer was something they knew about. They had a relationship with God. So they had, had developed their own prayer lives. However, something about the way Jesus prayed was attractive to them. See, I picture the disciples. They notice, they start hanging out with Jesus, and they notice him praying. And they're intrigued, like, that's different. So then they watch him. And then they get more intrigued. I imagine them getting, like, a notebook out and, like, sneaking up behind him and, like, taking notes. Like, okay, okay, he's doing that. They're trying to figure it out. And then they're like, okay, I'm just going to copy him. That works. He's on his knees. They get down. They're like, uh, Father, uh, God, okay, I pray yes. Oh, they're watching him. Like, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? Why do I not feel it? Where's the goosebumps? Come on. I, this isn't working. And they're trying to emulate the prayer life of Jesus, and it's not working. So then they have a discussion amongst themselves. And like, what is he doing? But none of them can figure it out. And then I picture the disciples like elbowing each other. Like, you ask him. No, no, you ask him. I'm not asking how he prays. This is embarrassing. I'm not about to throw myself under the bus. And then I picture someone like maybe Peter, one of the disciples, saying, hey, Jesus, Andrew has a question for you. <laughs> Andrew is his brother, so it works out. And then a disgruntled Andrew or some other disciple, we don't actually know which one, asks Jesus this question in Luke 11. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And then Jesus goes into a discourse in Luke chapter 11 that's later known as the Lord's Prayer. It's him teaching the disciples how to pray. So Luke 11 is actually a parallel passage, which just means it's just like a rewording of the same thing, because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all telling the same story, just in slightly different ways. So Luke 11 is parallel to Matthew 6. Matthew chapter 6 is the more traditional Lord's Prayer verse that you may have known growing up if you grew up in the church. So we're going to read Matthew 6 tonight instead, but I wanted to give you that Luke 11 to give you the picture of the disciples. Matthew 6 is actually where Jesus gives us, again, the traditional Lord's Prayer in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew 6, 5 through 8 says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard by their many words. Do not be like him, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So this is right before the Lord's Prayer, and Jesus is teaching his disciples that prayer is not about like getting these earthly rewards or about being seen. So if our prayer lives are about earning religious brownie points or trying to appear as a good Christian who prays and knows the right words to say, then we're not quite praying the way Jesus did. Instead, we're to go to seek in the secret place and just talk to God. Don't worry about the words, just simply talk to your Father in a secret place. And then he continues on with the prayer we're going to dissect tonight. Matthew 6, 9 through 13 says this, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive other the trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. God, thank you for giving us an opportunity to connect with you tonight, Jesus. We love you so much. In your name, amen. Amen. Before we jump into learning how to pray like Jesus, I think a really important question to ask would be, why did Jesus pray? I mean, Jesus is God, but he prayed to God, but he was God, and it gets a little confusing, right? So why did Jesus set aside specific times to develop a prayer life. Last week, I made this argument that prayer can be organic. 
real, honest, messy, just like a child. Jesus prayed real, honest prayers, such as the one the night before his death, when he said, God, take this cup away from me. He had real honesty with God, but also Jesus didn't stop with just having these real, vulnerable styles of prayer. He also did have a disciplined prayer life, meaning Jesus set aside time to connect with God. Jesus had a real devotional life. Jesus read the scriptures and he prayed systematically to God. Jesus had discipline. If anyone in history could have made the argument that they don't need a specific disciplined prayer time because they live a prayerful lifestyle and they're constantly talking to God, if anyone can do that and say they don't need routine, set aside structure time to pray, if anyone in history could make that argument, it was Jesus because he was God. But even Jesus didn't pull that card that said, I don't need set aside prayer time. I'm more organic. I'm like, I flow with it, right? I pray when I need to, like on the way, but I don't actually need to set aside time to pray. No, Jesus didn't do that. He was more deeply connected to God than anyone, but even he thought it was important to set aside time to pray. If Jesus needed to get alone with God, I think we do too. So we must start with discipline if we want to pray like Jesus. We must have set aside disciplined times if we want to pray like Jesus. As Dick Brogdon says, we need to start with discipline, and discipline will turn into desire, which will turn into delight, meaning you're not going to delight or like get a bunch of joy from something right away. Usually you have to start with some discipline, but as you get disciplined in prayer, you'll eventually start to desire your prayer life a little more, be like a little bit more fun for you, then eventually you'll delight in it, and then it goes back to discipline, but it starts with a disciplined prayer life. Pete Gregg says in his book, How to Pray, even when you don't really want to pray, a place of prayer can make it easier. Merely by showing up, you make a declaration of intent. I've come to believe that 99% of prayer is just showing up making the effort to be consciously present to the God who is constantly present to us. Jesus shows us that we have one job to do in our prayer lives. We simply need to show up. We have to set aside time to pray. All throughout the Gospels, we read about Jesus going to a desolate place to pray. And I think he did this for two reasons. I think, first of all, Jesus was fully human, and he needed to connect with his Father, and he knew the best way to connect with God is through prayer. But I think the second reason that Jesus did this is to give us an example to live by, saying if we want to connect with the Father, we need to pray. See, the Lord's Prayer, what we just read, is not meant to be like a rote thing that you recite a few days. You hang it up like on your fridge, you read it through once, don't think about God at all, and then you're done. That's not the purpose of it. See, the prayer we just read is not a script, it is a framework. It's giving us an outline of how to pray and what our prayer life should look like. Jesus is not saying, repeat after me. No, he's saying, pray like this. Pray in this way. And in this book, How to Pray, Pete Gregg dissects the Lord's Prayer and he breaks it up into a four-step process. It's a very simple method to pray. It's beautiful but also powerful. So if you're here and you want a powerful or an exciting prayer life, but you don't practically know how to, maybe you've ever sat down and you're like, I don't actually know what to do now. I said I'm going to pray, but I'm kind of lost. Or maybe you prayed for like 30 seconds, really passionate things, and you're like, I'm out of words now. What do I do now? I'll go play video games. I'm good now. Maybe you got bored. Maybe you've quit. If that's you, this idea is for you. I'm going to spend the rest of our time together unpacking this method, working through the Lord's Prayer, giving us a simple framework for us to use when we pray. If you're struggling to pray, or even if you have a great prayer life, I encourage you to use this methodology. This is the way I pray every single day. See, prayer doesn't have to be rigid like a checklist. This, this method is just kind of like a launching pad to help you get started. So if you miss a section or a step or if you say things in the wrong order, it doesn't matter. 
Too often I think we get too much in a box when it comes to following Jesus. Just talk to your Father in heaven. It's just a process to help you. But if you commit to doing this process every single day, not just do it one day, but every day, your world will be turned upside down. So what's this process? There's an acronym for it. Pray. Come on. That's so smooth. So much better than our old one. Anyways, pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. That's how we pray. If you've been around Kai Alpha for a while, you know about my dog, Cap. And if you don't, I have a tiny dog that's absolutely nuts, and his name is Captain Steve Rogers Quimby. He's my best friend and my worst enemy all in one. So I want you to imagine that my dog, Cap, and I are going for a walk on the hill. We walk down to Sidecar Coffee, and I tie Cap up to a chair right outside of Sidecar so I can go inside and get a delicious cup of coffee from Carly Clifton, who works there. And then Cap... Being the crazy dog he is, as he's tied up, he looks up the hill, and he sees one of his best friends, also known as Chi Alpha students, and he's just excited to see his friend, and he thinks to start, maybe if I run up there, they'll scratch me. So then he gets excited, so he bolts, and he goes. And as he's running, at first he's excited because he saw his friends, and then he's really nervous, like, what's happening? I feel like I'm being chased. I'm being chased by something. There's something behind me. It's trying to get me. So then he starts like ducking and weaving, trying to run in and out. She's like, I got to shake this thing that's chasing me. Someone is a perpetrator ready to hurt me. And he's just running around in circles because that's his favorite activity. And he keeps being chased and keeps being chased. He gets overwhelmed. Something's right on his tail. He needs to outrun it. And he can't seem to shake this enemy of his. This enemy, of course, is the chair I tied him to. See, I tied him to him. He can't outrun the chair that's linked to him. He can't out-worry or out-methodology or out-strategize the chair because he has no thumbs, so he can't untie himself. <laughs> so how would Cap get this chair to stop chasing him? He would just need to stop. The moment he stopped, the chair might fling into him, hit him, but then it's going to be stop chasing him, right? Because he's not running around anymore. If he would slow down and be less worried, his perpetrator would reveal itself as it actually is, which is simply a chair. But to get there, he would need to slow down and pause. Jesus starts his prayer with our Father in heaven. This is Jesus pausing for a moment to recognize God, to address him. He slows down and pauses to greet his father. We think that prayer is about something we do, but what we learned last week is that prayer is about seeing transformation inside of us. Prayer is not about what we do, but who we are. It's about being with God. In order to truly start a healthy prayer life, it starts with us not saying the right things. Rather, it starts with us being silent. Going back to Cap in the chair, we are all Cap. The chairs, our worries, our schedules, our classes, the demands of our lives, our irrational fears that if I just slow down for one moment, I've got all those tests, I've got to be with my girlfriend, I've got to work 45 hours a week, I've got to be in 65 clubs, and if I just slow down, I'm going to die. I'm going to die because the chair is chasing me, and if I stop, uh, and then it's all our worries, right? But if we would just slow down, our worries would figure themselves out. We think, I don't have enough time today. I have to run constantly in order to achieve my goals. See, we're too scared to actually slow down because we don't think we have the time. However, imagine if I got my cup of coffee and I go outside to see Cap running in circles and I told him to sit. Strangely enough, my dog is crazy, but he's actually obedient. So he would listen. And the moment he obeyed his master, he would calm down and the chair would stop chasing him. See, we are called to obey our master. Psalm 23, 1 through 2 says this, The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. We are commanded to lie down and to pause. This is so hard. I'm not very good at pausing. I want to keep going, constantly trying to earn my way towards God, but Jesus is showing us the way to connect with God is not rambunctious a lifestyle, but pausing. Pete says it this way, one of the main differences between you and God is that God does not think he's you. Moments of stillness in the, at the start of prayer time are moments of complete surrender in which we stop competing with God, we relinquish our Messiah complexes, and we resign from trying to save the planet. So if we want to connect with God, the first step is we need to slow down enough to listen to him. We have to give him control. We have to let God be God and us be us. To obey him, we have to lay down with him. If we are obedient in this, he will calm the storm of our lives because God is gentle. If our prayer lives are us just yelling at God our wants and constantly talking at him, we will not be able to hear him. I often hear things like, I just don't hear from God. Well, do you silent yourself enough so that he can talk? Because God's not going to talk over you. God's not rude. If we aren't silent before the Lord, we probably won't hear from him. Just this past week, I've been wrestling with a few things. In the instant that I just shut my mouth and listened to God, he spoke to me just like that. If we give God room, he'll take it. So the first step to connecting with God is quieting ourselves. Practically, this looks like the beginning of a prayer time. Spend a few minutes in silence and solitude. Commit to just 30 seconds, a minute, five minutes, 20 minutes, whatever you can handle of silence and just sit with God. And as you do this, your mind will start to wander. That's okay. God's not mad at you for having wandering thoughts. Just bring it back to silence. So how you can practically do this is when you start, you're sitting in silence, quieting yourself to listen to God, and then your mind starts to wander, and then pray a simple prayer like, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. And then just say a little line, nothing too crazy, just to bring your mind back to God. Give God a place to speak. At first, you're probably only able to do this for a few seconds. That's okay. Start there. Start with 30 seconds, then work your way up to more and more time in silence before God to let him speak. I struggle with this discipline, but it's gotten so much better since I've started. So we start our prayer time with a moment of silence, of pausing before God, and then we move to rejoice. Jesus follows our Father in heaven with, hallowed be your name. This is Jesus worshiping God. This is the next step. We rejoice in who God is and in what he's done. This could also be called adoration. This is us refocusing and worshiping God because he's God, because he's amazing, because God created this universe and he wants to have a relationship with us. And that's a big deal. Sometimes prayer feels like an obligation, right? feels like an annoyance, like something we have to do to check off this checklist. But Pete says it this way, and in losing the godness of God, we struggle with prayer because we fail to grasp the mind-blowing privilege of simply being in the presence of the living God. Familiarity breeds apathy until we can barely be bothered to try. Oof. I want you to imagine your hero. For me, it's LeBron. I love LeBron James more than I probably should. If LeBron texted me somehow and, texted me and said, hey, I want to talk to you, I can tell you one thing. I would not feel like it was an obligation to go talk to LeBron. I'd be like, thank God, LeBron wants to talk to me. This is amazing. And I would show up excited and ready, and I'd give LeBron all the time in the world. So if we would do that with our earthly heroes, why would we not do this with the God of the universe and give him all the time he wants to talk to us? Because our God is much better than our earthly heroes. So when we view prayer as an obligation, that's us having an incorrect view of who we're talking to. But there can be moments when we don't want to rejoice. We pause and rejoice. We don't want to. Maybe life stinks. Maybe you're not feeling joyful. Maybe God doesn't seem great in the moment. Maybe you're mad at him. 
In these moments, we can hallow the name of the Lord anyways. Instead of waiting to worship until I feel like it, which can be a very long wait indeed, I begin to thank God for all the evidences of his love in my life until my feelings fall into line with the facts because feelings follow actions. You're not always going to feel like praying, but if we start praying and rejoicing in the goodness of God and thanking God for things, our hearts going to become more thankful as we say things we're thankful for. If you keep brooding in grumpiness and about how life stinks and how everything's going to a bad place, then we're going to continue to feel negative. But if we begin to thank God, say, God, you are so good, even though I don't feel like it. If we do this, God's going to warm your heart. Sometimes when we rejoice and thank God for who he is, it's going to feel fake and forced and not organic. And that's okay. Because Jesus doesn't just want your emotionally charged worship. He wants your obedient worship. Pete says it this way, I suspect that unemotional worship, the kind that feels a bit forced and fake, is precious to God precisely because it's so costly to us. So this could look like, after you pause, making, maybe make a list of things that you're grateful for. Make a list of the aspects of God that are the most endearing to you. And then when you're in times of rejoicing, when you know you should probably thank God for who he is, but you don't feel like it, you pull out this list of things you're thankful for to remind yourself of why God is good. I encourage you, in your prayer time, set aside a specific time to just worship God and rejoice in who he is. This will help us fall more in love with God and help us remember his goodness and will help us have a more grateful heart. After we rejoice in who God is, we move to what most of us think of when we think of prayer. We ask. Matthew 6, 10, and 11 says this, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. About a month, and a month ago, Taylor and I were driving downtown Cedar Falls to go out to eat on Maine to celebrate Pastor Daniel's birthday. It was pouring down rain. And as we're driving, I can see that we have no spots, no option. We're going to have to park miles away. But I get in front of Whiskey Road, which is the restaurant we're going to. I'm like, Taylor, Jesus is going to open up one of these spots. And Taylor's like, he's not going to open up your spots, okay? We're walking. She's like, yeah, right. She laughed at me. I'm like, okay. And to both of our surprises, I act like I was confident. I didn't think it was going to work. Not only did one car pull out of its spot, two cars pulled right out. And we had our choice of the best spot or the second spot, best spot in the restaurant. Come on. They both opened up. The Lord answers when we ask him. Hallelujah. And I didn't get wet. Jesus is so good. Praying or asking, saying, give us our daily bread, is basically just asking God for the things of life. Just saying, God, I want a parking spot. Prayer means many things to many people, but at its simplest and most obvious, it just means asking God for help. So this part of prayer, so again, we go P-R-A, ask, is just asking God. You might be saying to yourself, you know what, Derek, that's a cute story, but there's a little parking spot. That's just a coincidence, okay? They already left the restaurant. You didn't get it from the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're right. I have no idea. How do I know if they just finished that well and it worked out at the great time? But you know what? Because I prayed for a small thing, I now have the opportunity to thank God for that small thing. I promise you I was way more grateful for that parking spot than I would have been if I wouldn't have prayed for it. So yeah, maybe it's a coincidence. But now I get to give the glory to God. And I got the parking spot. What if it wasn't a coincidence and I'd still be wet because it was raining that much and it was two months ago, but anyways. When we pray, God, pray to God for the small things, we open up our hearts for gratitude. Jesus breaks up this asking section of 
his prayer into two sections. The first one is he says, let your kingdom come upon earth as it is in heaven. This is asking God to invade heaven down to earth, meaning we're asking for unearthly things on earth. This is us praying for things like healings, praying for miracles, because Jesus healed people. Jesus did miracles, and we believe what happened in the Bible can happen today. So we pray for those big God-sized dreams. Pray for the supernatural. We ask God to do big, impossible things because we believe we serve a powerful God. And now I've prayed some big prayers in my life like this, and some of them have come true, but some haven't. Some of these things I've asked where I said, heaven invade earth, it just hasn't worked out. For example, this past year, my cousin, who was 21 years old, passed away from COVID. I don't know why she wasn't healed. I prayed for it. My whole family prayed for it. But it didn't happen. See, I could go on a tangent here about unanswered prayers and how God designed the universe to work a certain way and usually doesn't go against his natural order of things. For example, if you jump off of a building and mid-jump you pray, Jesus, help me not break my legs. See, God designed gravity, and he's not going to change, break the laws of nature and, keep the, and struggle to keep the world spinning because of your stupidity and attempt to fly. So sometimes our prayers that are just completely against the laws of nature that God designed, because God designed gravity, God designed these things to work a certain way to make the world actually work for all of us, sometimes we just have things called natural consequences. And when you don't study and pray, God, help me pass this test, no, God's probably not going to answer that prayer because it's a natural consequence. God gave you a brain you could have used to study, but you didn't do that. So it's not God's fault. That's not unanswered prayer. That's not good time management. But anyways... Usually, God just lets the world work the way he designed it. But sometimes, God does do the supernatural. Sometimes he does break status quo. And we cannot explain why he does it sometimes and sometimes does not. But I do know that God is trustworthy. And I know that God is good. And I know that Jesus died for my sins. So if he has the power to do something, even though I don't know if he's going to do it or not, I'm just going to keep asking him because I'm a childlike faith. And I'm going to keep asking my God because I believe he can do it. And when he comes through, it's incredible. And when he does it, I'm going to trust him anyways. So first, Jesus prays, heaven come to earth. And then he prays for his daily bread. He's asking God for provision. And by him asking God for this, he's showing a sign of trust. He's trusting God for today's needs. This isn't, if you notice, Jesus didn't say, Jesus, or God, I pray for today's bread and tomorrow's bread and next year's bread and next month's bread and when I graduate and all these things. No. Jesus doesn't worry about 10 years in the future. He's just asking God to provide for today's needs. See, God does not promise us if we pray that he will provide for tomorrow's wants but he does promise to provide for today's needs. There's a 19th century pastor named George Mueller. George Mueller had an orphanage that reached over 10,000 kids. Orphanages sound expensive. Feeding kids sounds expensive. Providing for them. And never once did George ask for money. Maybe you're thinking, oh, George must have been rich before. No, he was a pastor before. And I can promise you, pastors are not rich. Or at least certain pastors, some might be. But anyway, he was not rich. And he never asked anyone for money. He never even told people about the needs of his orphanage. He didn't do what we just did. He didn't do any of that. This was his financial plan. It was pretty crazy. Ready for it? He said, Jesus, give us today our daily bread. Amen. That was his financial plan. That's the Dave Ramsey plan of George Mueller. He prayed and he trusted God to come through. And through this deep intellectual financial planning, he raised more than $97 million today's money. And he never asked for a dime of it. Well, that is right. This didn't provide for everything he wanted. It's not like it was all amazing. He cut it close sometimes, but there was always just enough. See, one time, he had 300 kids in his orphanage, and it's breakfast time. 
And he goes out to these 300 orphans knowing full well that there is not one drop of food in the kitchen. And he goes out and he says, let's pray and give God grace for today's breakfast. Let's thank God for breakfast. God, give us our daily bread. We thank you for the breakfast you provided. Again, knowing there's no food. Amen. At the sound of amen, he hears a banging on the front door of the orphanage. And he goes out and a baker opens the door and says, hey, for some reason God told me that at 2 a.m. that I need to get up and start baking for you in your orphanage. So here's a bunch of bread. God's pretty cool, right? <laughs> Luckily for us, it doesn't stop there. And then a milkman in his cart breaks down, and he comes and says, I don't want it all to go to waste, and I'm not going to deliver it, so do you need some milk? Come on, that's a breakfast of champions right there. God provides, but we have to ask. God thanked God, or God, or excuse me, George thanked God for the daily bread, knowing full well there's nothing in the kitchen. Do we only thank God when we're taken care of, or do we thank God when we're needy? And we don't ask God things to try to control him, but we do ask God things to influence him. We, God wants us to be relational with him. He wants us to be vulnerable and intentional with him. See, God doesn't just want a robotic follower. God wants a partner in this mission of living life. So I challenge you. Find some things you're asking for and find a way to pray for them. For example, I have prayer cards. It's like little note cards, and I write my prayers on it. And then I just go through and pray for them. Maybe it looks like a prayer list, or like a spreadsheet, whatever floats your boat. Find something to remind yourself to keep asking God for things and then trust him for it. And asking is not blind faith. No, asking God, prayer is a specific request to a specific person. So come to Jesus with your big dreams and your heaven-like requests, but also come to him with the daily asks. God doesn't just need our big asks. I think sometimes we think, oh, that's not big enough for me to pray about it. Is God going to be offended by, wow, that was just too, you believe in me too much? That's too big of a prayer. Why would you ask me that? No. God's not offended by the greatness of our prayer. Sometimes he's just offended by the smallness of our prayer life and saying we're not willing to ask for everything. Ask God for everything and anything. If we ask God for daily bread, it's much easier to thank God for daily bread. Jesus ends his treaty on prayer with this. And forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So when it comes to how to pray, Jesus only gives one caveat. He says, if you will not forgive, you will not be forgiven. Greg says it this way, our greatest need and God's greatest gift are the same thing, forgiveness of sins. And to receive it, we only have to ask and pass it on. But to ask for it, we must first admit that we need it. The final step of prayer, so we have pause, rejoice, ask, and then yield. We yield to God. There's two specific things we need to yield to God or give to him, our sins and our bitterness. We must confess our sins my favorite thing to say, we confess our sins to God for forgiveness, and we confess our sins to community for freedom. The first step is confessing our sins to God for forgiveness. If you want forgiveness, all you have to do is ask him for it, and he's ready to pour it out. If you want freedom, if you want to overcome a sin, that's where your community comes in. We confess our sins to each other to help us grow and to get free. An important step in our prayer life is confessing our sins. And I suggest that we confess our sins out loud. Verbalize your sin confession to God in your prayer time. Verbally say your sin confession because then you can say it and when you hear it out loud, 
that's going to change some things, right? It's easier to say in your head, mm, or this is my head saying, Jesus, forgive me for going out and getting drunk again this weekend when I know I shouldn't. It's a whole other thing to say, Jesus, forgive me for going out and getting drunk again this weekend when I know I probably shouldn't have done that. As we verbalize it, it becomes more real to us, and there's a little bit more like heaviness to it, but the beauty is the heaviness of our sin just shows the heaviness of our God's forgiveness and how he can overcome all of our sins. Let his grace wash over you. I challenge you to verbally confess your sins to God for forgiveness and then to also confess your sin to community to receive freedom, meaning be vulnerable. To receive forgiveness, the only thing we need to do is admit that we need it. See, we cannot be too proud to admit our faults and our shortcomings. Pete says it this way, you cannot be too bad, too broken, or too boring for God's unconditional love. Only too proud to acknowledge how desperately you need it. Let us be a humble people who readily, readily admits when we sin. Jesus goes on to say that if we will forgive other people, then God will forgive us. This is a tough pill to swallow because the reverse is true. If we will not forgive other people, God will not forgive us. We cannot hold bitterness. We need to show grace to other people. The disciple Peter asked, God, or asked Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive someone? And Jesus ultimately says you need to show unlimited forgiveness. People cannot use up their forgiveness bank in your heart. See, because bitterness, it doesn't actually hurt the person you're bitter towards. Because they probably don't know about it. You're over there like brooding in anger about how bitter you are towards them. And they're just over there having a good life. Not even thinking about it because we all just think about ourselves a lot. So not thinking about you and how you're mad at them. See, people aren't really usually hurt by you being bitter at them. However, as this passage just showed us, our bitterness does greatly hurt us. Bitterness holds us from receiving grace from God. It darkens our heart, and it creates a wedge between us and the heart of God. See, I know people in here, if you're honest, you've been deeply hurt. There's some deep cut wounds in here. And I'm really sorry those things happened. There's so much unjust in this world, and it breaks my heart. I love you all more than I think you'll ever be able to know, and seeing you hurt hurts me deeply. But see, I love you so much that I care about your soul and I love you too much not to call out. I love you too much to let you wallow in bitterness because it's only hurting you. An important step in connecting with our Father, which is the point of all this, is to release bitterness. We will not be able to connect with God until we do. So I challenge you, if you're here tonight and you're feeling disconnected from God, if you feel like you're not getting the feelings you want, if you feel like you and God are not on the same page, if you're in a quote-unquote dry season, I challenge you to examine one of two things. Fine, is there any unconfessed sin in your life? Is there something that you've been holding in that you haven't told anyone? You haven't even said it to God. And these unconfessed sins, sometimes we think of them just if I just don't watch porn or go out and get drunk, then I'm good. Those are not the only sins. Maybe you have some anger that you need to confess. Maybe there's some pride inside of you you need to confess. Maybe you've been struggling with just complete negativity and lacking of joy. If there's something inside of your heart that is not pleasing to the image of Jesus, we need to confess those sins to God for forgiveness and the community for freedom. Because God's not going to force forgiveness upon us. He wants us to open our hearts to it. So I challenge you to have a time of confession this week. Whether that's in, first in your prayer closet with God and then in your small group with your friends. Not just the big prayer or big sins, but what's going on in your heart? And if one of those sins is bitterness, 
I highly encourage you to confess that sin. Yield your bitterness to God. I recognize that people have done things that have hurt you. I recognize that people stink sometimes, that we live in, in a not great society sometimes. And maybe they don't deserve your forgiveness. They might not. But do we deserve forgiveness from God? He gives it to us anyways. So I challenge you, release bitterness because the only person who's hurting is you. And God loves you too much to let you sit in bitterness. Yield it to God. Does this mean that you're gonna go from tonight, you're like, I'm not bitter anymore. Yes, that's taken care of. And then never think about it again. No, that's probably not how that's gonna work. You need to open up a relationship, probably with someone, maybe the person you're bitter at, and say, hey, I'm really struggling with this, and I'm bitter. Small group leader, pastor, friend, help me get over this. Say the junk and say, help me stop thinking about this. I want to see a group of people who are loving and joyful and full of grace and devoid of bitterness in this community. So if you're here tonight and you feel disconnected to God, yield to him. Confess and then reconcile. If we pause, rejoice, ask and yield, we will connect to our Father. Pause, rejoice, ask and yield. After all, is Jesus teaching us to pray? Kind of. Is Jesus teaching us just like these right words to say? Not really. No, what Jesus is doing is not teaching us a fancy prayer format. No, he's teaching us how to connect to God. Our main idea tonight is praying like Jesus means connecting to your Father. This isn't just about learning to pray. It's about learning to connect to God. If you're here tonight and you feel disconnected from the Father, here's a simple tool to just connect with Him. Just P-R-A-Y. Just pray. Following Jesus should be anything but a disconnected haze of living. Following Jesus should be a thriving relationship with God. And praying like Jesus is the key to developing this connection. Maybe you're here, and if you're honest, you've never connected with the Father. See, there's a line in Jesus' prayer that is so crucial to us this evening. He says, God, let your kingdom come upon earth as it is in heaven. How does the kingdom come? Well, it needs a king. And that's how his kingdom came, because Jesus was the king who was ushering in the kingdom of God. The only reason we can even connect with God is because of Jesus. See, Jesus ushered in his kingdom through his life because he lived a perfect life. And then he died on a cross for our sins. And because of this, we now have access to forgiveness. The forgiveness he teaches about in the end of that prayer is just because Jesus paid the penalty. And we hear that every week, right? We hear every week, yes, Jesus died for my sins. We hear it all the time. Is it inside of us that the God of the universe died for me? If God can show me that much grace, how dare I be bitter towards other people? And this is speaking from someone who struggles in this area. There's no judgment from me. I'm just a partner who wants to help you overcome this as I'm working on overcoming this issue myself. The only way we can have access to the Father and to his forgiveness and to faith and life with God, the only way is through the sacrifice of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus. And Jesus is asking you to receive this access from him tonight. Let Jesus connect you to God. And the first step to that is accepting him as your Lord and King. We live in a world of disconnection. Jesus wants us to be connected to the Father. 
So when I was, I was doing an interview with the guy who videotaped us beforehand, and he asked me, what's been the hardest thing about these two years of leading during COVID? And as I think about it now, it just, I think how easy it is to get disconnected from people, how you can just hide out. And that disconnection to our community is going to lead to disconnection to the Father. And I think in this culture of disconnection known as COVID, God is asking for a remnant, meaning a remaining people, to say, I'm going to fight that disconnection. I'm not going to hide out and give into my introverted self as an introvert saying this, but instead I'm going to connect to the people of God and I'm going to connect to you, God, because you're beautiful. That's what he's asking of us. And if we will pray, we will connect to the Father. We'll be so full of peace as we pause. Remember, we must pause to start and give God an opportunity to speak. And then we will be so full of joy as we rejoice in the goodness of God and thank him. And then we'll see God do powerful things simply as we ask of him. And then we will live yielded lives that are free of bitterness, that are free of of unconfessed sin. And we'll just have a beautiful relationship with our Father. If we become a praying people, we will see the kingdom come upon earth. That is the promise of Jesus. If we will pray like Jesus, we will be connected to the Father, just like Jesus was. If you'll stand with me. If you're here tonight, and this idea of being connected to the Father is very new to you or novel, or just something that's not a part of your day-to-day routine, where you don't have a relationship with God, but you want to change that tonight. The beauty of God is he doesn't expect a 12-step process to get connected with him. He expects us to say, here I am, Lord. So if that's you, I'd like you guys to all close your eyes and bow your heads. This is what we do every week at Kyle because we want to give you an opportunity to respond. So what I'm going to do is on the count of three, with every eye closed, is I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on the count of three. And as you raise your hand, it's a symbol not just to me or to Kyle, it's a symbol to God saying, here I am, God. I want to be connected with you. An outward sign saying, God, I'm all in. So if that's you, if you will raise your hand on the count of three as a symbol to God that you're going all in with him, please raise your hand. One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for connecting with us, God. Thank you for not leaving us by the wayside, God. I just have a vision of a, of a baby just left in the ditch. And that's what we are without you. And then I envision a good father as you coming and finding us, scooping us up into your arms and saying, here I am. There's no reason to fear anymore. Your good father is here. Jesus, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for loving us in a way that our earthly fathers never possibly could. In your name, amen. Amen. The second way I want us to respond tonight is if you're here and you're honest, you haven't been praying like Jesus. And there's one of these steps you want to grow in. What I want you to do is we're going to spend a couple seconds, not too long, in this environment where we're just kind of hanging out. And I want you to think, which of these four do I need to start with first? The goal is to do all four, but maybe pick one and then start doing that. So it means you just need to sit in silence and not think, do that. If it means you need to rejoice, rejoice. If you want to ask God of something, ask him. If you want to yield, maybe confess some sin, there will be people up in the front that are there to pray with you. They'll pray for any of them, but they're a great opportunity because they look happens over there stays there so people want to go up there right now you can go and confess something whether it's bitterness or a sin issue and they'd love to pray for you with that let me pray for us then we'll go into this song jesus we love you jesus thank you for your goodness thank you for letting us connect to you in your name amen amen so we're going to sit here for just a couple seconds not too long and then we'll go back into this song we spend these few seconds doing one of those four things pause rejoice ask or yield